Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube-fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their journey from feeding tube to family table. Hi, welcome to the Tube to Table podcast. I'm Jenny, and I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Heidi. Heidi, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so glad to be back. We've had a nice long break for the summer, and now everybody's kind of settling into to the, to the beginning of whatever... Uh, you know, your New Year's holding for school or fall or whatever the case may be. How was your summer, Heidi? It was really good. We went we went camping. Oh, um, our, our anniversary was this weekend, and we decided we were going to have a quiet getaway weekend. And we went and set our new tent up and got everything all laid out and started a fire. And it was too hot for a fire, really, but you can't camp without a fire. <laughs> and in came three van loads of Girl Scouts. Stop it. Who camped all the way around us. So romantic. (laughs) All the parents kept coming over and apologizing. Did they at least bring cookies? (laughs) No cookies. But we bought Boy Scout popcorn, so we were covered. That's good. Oh, that's very good. Yeah. And you were traveling a bunch too, right? Yeah. We, um, I think our listeners might know that I spent uh, about half of the year in Italy working and um, we made our way back over here and got our two youngest back to school and we're in the middle of a move. So it's been kind of a crazy time, but, but um, we also had a really good summer. We also went camping and um, had really, we went camping twice this summer and had a blast. Um, So yeah, it was a really good summer and I'm looking forward to fall. I'm not a big hot weather person, so we're excited about the fall and all the activities that come with it. I am hoping fall comes eventually. It's still supposed to be in the nineties this week, but it's got to cool down sometime. It will. It will. And then we'll be wishing the hot weather back. <laughs> exactly. Remind me of this in February. So this week, um, we're going to talk a little bit about tools of the trade. And by that, I mean cups, spoons, tools, bottles, anything you might use to feed a kiddo by mouth. And the reason that we're going to talk about that is that very often when we're starting treatment with a child, whether we're doing an evaluation or getting ready to plan an intensive treatment um, tube wean, parents often call us and say, what do I need to stock up on? (laughs) What do I need to get my hands on? What's your favorite cup? What's your favorite spoon? Is this okay? Or they've been told by other people that there's like a magic list of equipment (laughs) that is going to help your child learn to eat. And we're here to tell you (laughs) that that's usually not the case. no magic. No magic. If only there was a little magic and we could say this spoon will do the trick. But there are some tips that we um, can talk a little bit about to help Mm -hmm. you kind of navigate through what to use. Um, The first thing I'll say is that we think it – when you're starting to feed your child by mouth, it's important when you're introducing any utensil, cup, spoon, or any any bottle or anything that's going to feed them, that you take into consideration that whatever you are choosing now doesn't remind them of negative or traumatic experiences in the mm-hmm. past. 
Now, that's not to say that a child might not go back to the cup that they used in feeding therapy through tears for two years, but you generally don't want to start there. You probably are going to want to start with something that is new and not associated with such negative experiences. And and hopefully your child hasn't had any. Most kids that are struggling to learn how to eat know that when you use a certain cup or spoon that you're trying to get them to eat. And so starting fresh can be a really helpful tool. And starting familiar. Many, many kids that we work with will actually want what you're using, Mm -hmm. what the grownups are using, because they see it a lot. It's probably... there's very little that is continuous or constant in this work that we do. There's, you know, change is the name of the game. Every child is so different. However, the most common theme probably in those early kind of reaching for or initiating their new, their new, um, you know, tasting or whatever it is they're doing new when they're learning to actually eat in a positive way, the most common thread would be reaching for somebody else's cup. It doesn't matter how beautiful you made the spread for the food you want them to eat. They might just lunch for your water bottle or they might just go Mm -hmm. for, you know, the pineapple that you're eating for breakfast. And so um, that's really helpful to keep in mind. And it makes total sense, right? Because if you're eating it and they've seen it a lot and you're not likely to have tried to offer your child your coffee cup (laughs) or -hmm. your water bottle if they're on a feeding tube. So there's usually not a lot of pressure associated with your stuff and you use it all the time. So they think, huh, mm-hmm. that must not be so scary because mom and brother and sister use it. Right. I think, you know, if we're going back to internal drives to eat and then I think we can break it down into some categories a little bit more specifically, but I think the two big themes are internally. Number one is familiar and social. Number two is curiosity. Mm-hmm. What's that? never seen that before. That's true. I would like to try that. So those two, yeah, I think those two things are probably the biggest tricks, Mm -hmm. biggest motivators um, that I tend to use. Mm Because both of those things carry safety with them. Newness isn't associated with things that don't feel safe from the past. And familiarity, having seen others use it or having it be around, offers safety. Mm -hmm. And that's the name of the game for most of our kids with tubes. Because they are scared of food or very unsure what to do with it, if not afraid. Mm -hmm. So feeling safe is only going to ever help them. Right. And um, so we thought maybe it would be helpful to just talk a little bit about our own personal things that we use when we're doing two weems with kids and also when I'm feeding my kids or other people's kids. Um, I find that when it comes to using like utensils in particular – that the more normal and less kid-like it looks, the more likely I am to use it and the more likely the child I'm feeding is to take it. Mm -hmm. And so I personally, as a therapist, am more likely to choose like a teaspoon that's made out of metal that looks like a regular teaspoon in the drawer of every kitchen (laughs) than I am to use one that has, you know, Winnie the Pooh on it or something like that. Right. No offense to Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) And I often have found, I'll try some of those things too. And if I have kids that really seem intimidated, I have ordered a bag of um, little tiny ice cream taster spoons Mm -hmm. in different colors. And that little tiny bit where they're not accidentally going to get too much. And it's really obvious that it's a very small amount 
um, seems to do well, especially for the kids who are a little bit older, mm-hmm. I think, that can manage it themselves a little bit more and can manage that little tiny piece. Um, they tend to be more willing to approach those little teeny ones. They understand also probably in a different way than the tinier yeah. kids that that little thing is less threatening because it carries less food, whereas mm-hmm. a toddler may not make that connection as much. Right. And it may be actually easier for smaller hands to hold something larger. Mm-hmm. And so it's just another great example of start with what you have yeah. and look at your child. Because the truth is, is that every child, even kids with the same exact on paper history, you know, of, mm-hmm. of disease or path to feeding tube, no two kids do the same thing when it comes to learning to eat. So just kind of keeping in mind that they're going to tell you which one's working, but not right away. Mm-hmm. You have <laughs> to try a couple. Yeah, you have to try a couple and you have to try for a little bit because every child, tube or no tube, is clump clumsy, if you will, for lack of a better word, when they're starting to eat. I mean, I know when I fed Jonas, my youngest, there's sputtering and stuff in the beginning when they're trying their first foods or they're using a bottle for the first time. And they don't usually, some kids Mm -hmm. do. We all know kids that just go for it and do fine, but it's very normal for a child with a spoon or a bottle or even a cup to like struggle in the beginning. And I will say, we didn't mention this earlier, but familiarity, novelty, and control. Yes think the other thing that's really important before it comes to their face, in fact, probably lots of times before it comes to their face, it gets set on the tray. Mm-hmm. It gets set on the table. They pick it up themselves. You, I mean, it seems to be even better most of the time for whichever utensil you choose that not even handing it to them, but you're putting it down and saying, this is yours to control. I'm not bringing it to your face until you've had a chance to mess with it. That's so true. That's so true. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I know that we talked about something related to that in a previous episode, but I would say that more important than whatever it is you've placed on the table near them or in their line of sight is the waiting for them to initiate. And they might not be able to pick it up because of their age or because of their you know, medical situation. Motor control. Yeah, motor control. They might not be able to pick it up, but there's tons of ways that kids can tell you they're ready. Mm -hmm. Looking at it, looking at you, looking at it, leaning forward, relaxed shoulders, relaxed hands, not fisted hands, or a really overly extended, uh, meaning leaning back (laughs) spine. Mm -hmm. Um, Those those cues that they're feeling relaxed and, and wanting to start are more important often than Mm -hmm. the item that you chose. And so sometimes people will see a child struggle with a cup or a spoon or a fork or whatever the thing is, and they think it's about that thing, forgetting that it might have been presented to them in a way that didn't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And when we don't feel comfortable, we don't do our best work, and nor do kids. (laughs) And along those same lines, whichever spoon, since we're a little bit on spoons right now, um, turn taking is huge. Mm-hmm. So whichever spoon you use, it would be nice if you could have a couple of things that are similar. So when you do get to the point where they're letting you do some, making sure that you're not taking over that control of it and that they do a bite, you do a bite. That's particularly important in the toddler years. <laughs> um, but just making sure that you don't, whichever utensil it is that you continue to have, either they get full control or that they at least get part control of whichever spoon. And a lot of another trick that a lot of feeding therapists and 
moms and dads use when they're learning to feed little kids is if they're little and they are new to a utensil spoon or fork, um, loading it up for them or, you know, and then leaving it alone until they mm-hmm. initiate can be really helpful because then they have to work less hard. So they're right. less likely to feel overwhelmed and give up in the middle of it. Again, a more like it's the how being more important than the what you right. chose to feed and them with. Pay attention to your presentation because for some kids, you can load it up and hand it to them. For other kids, you have to load it up quietly on the side and set it down. Exactly. So it's very obvious that you're not making them do something that they're not ready for. just depends on the level of trust. And if you're not have. sure which one your kiddo is, our suggestion is always to start further away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just always a safer bet. And the most frequent advice we give to people when we watch a video of kids feeding before we've had a chance to really train the parents is two things. Food is really close to them before they're ready for it. And it's coming at them quickly at their face. And it doesn't feel quick to the parent, of course, because you're all doing it in a loving way, but to a child who a doesn't trust food and B doesn't understand its importance yet because of the tube. It's really important that it's, incrementally slow Mm -hmm. in terms of how quickly it's coming. And so it could just be for a little while on the table and then later it's closer and closer. Um, And that you respond if that feels like too much and back it up Mm -hmm. or slow it down. And then for kids who are using spoons and it's a little bit more about technique, probably the ones I have the most difficulty with are the ones with the really long handles and the really deep bowls. Yes. I tend to do a little bit better with shorter, flatter fatter spoons. Mm -hmm. Um, Those take and toss ones seem to be the right size for kids to be able to pick up and do themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, The longer handled ones tend to be harder for them to aim at their face. Well, they tend to stab themselves more often with those long ones. Yeah, I think that's probably the same reason behind my preference to tend to go for spoons and forks that are made out of metal, like the ones you find Mm -hmm. in your kitchen drawer. And I would use not the big, long. Right. forks or the big long spoons, but the smaller versions of them, mm-hmm. like a dessert spoon or, uh, you know, a espresso teaspoon. Yeah. Yeah. The little tiny espresso ones or whatever. Exactly. And those tend to be better. But I think another reason why they tend to be a little bit better in my practice anyways, is that they're a little heavier. Mm-hmm. And for kids that aren't used to holding stuff, it's just nice. The weight of it can be helpful in right. terms of them understanding where the object is where the spoon or fork or utensil is in space. And that's also true in my opinion with cups mm-hmm. that if you choose like a really lightweight paper cup or a disposable cup that might seem innocuous or <laughs> easier right. because it's light and they're little, the kids are little. I actually have the opposite experience that it can be harder to control because when we have weight in our hand, um, Now, you're talking about kids feeding themselves with these cups, right? I am. I'm only talking about the self-feeding right now. That's not necessarily true. It doesn't matter as much when you're being Mm -hmm. fed by an adult. But when you're feeding yourself, if a child is picking things up and bringing it to their mouth, having a little bit of weight to the object can be actually helpful. And, of course, there's limitations for strength. If it's too heavy, a child can't do it. But Mm -hmm. I find that kids um, get a little bit better motor control if it's not a super lightweight piece of cutlery. Since we're jumping into cups a little bit, I think um, probably both of us have found, or at least I personally have found, that sippy cups are probably the last thing. 
And parents always want to start with sippy cups. And I've rarely had kids who go directly to a sippy cup unless maybe their sibling is using it. Probably 90% of the time I start with an open cup and usually the grown-ups open cup. True. <laughs> Sometimes That's so a coffee true. cup. We do almost always use open cups to start with and very rarely a child's open cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean it's neat and easy. In the beginning. No. But it it's feels messy and hard. Mm-hmm. But it feel they can see what's going in their mouth. I think we've had kids start to drink from medicine cups, martini glasses, wine glasses, shot glasses, <laughs> coffee cups. <laughs> <laughs> They've started with everything. And some of that is that novelty. It's different. No one lets kids drink out of a martini glass. But also they can see, and I think that's really important. I think mm-hmm. most of when you don't trust something because you don't have experience with it, whether it's because you've had adverse relation, you know, noxious experiences with it, or just because you've been tube fed your whole life or a large chunk of it, being able to see it gives you a little bit more control over it and it makes Mm -hmm. you feel a little bit safer. And so those, those glasses (laughs) tend to be transparent and that can be helpful and open, which is also helpful. Right. Um, also coffee mugs, both the mm-hmm. to-go coffee mugs from our, your favorite coffee shop or um, or an actual mug that they're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Those are often first um, choices that kids show interest in. And I, along with those lines, it also needs to be easy mm-hmm. so that they just tip it up a little bit. I find a lot of times parents, even if we do try a coffee cup, they put a tiny little bit down in the bottom of it Mm -hmm. instead of filling it up to the rim. And the problem with putting it all the way down to the bottom is that you have to tip your head really far back to get any. Whereas if you fill it up, it's more slashing and more likely to spill, which is a downside, especially for kids who don't like to get wet. But if it's way up at the top all they, they can stick their tongue down in it and mm-hmm. taste it, and you don't have to tip it at all. Um, they can do a little sort of lip suck to get it up in there and get just a teeny little bit without having to invest their body in, in tipping their head back, where it's much scarier and more likely to slash down too far. Um, so I, I tend to start with smaller things simply because I can fill it all the way up, and if it spills, it's less likely to, you know— cover the floor yeah which is a tricky balance between those two for sure but clear open able to be filled are probably the top things I look at when I'm trying a cup yeah and just my take on the sippy cup example we're not anti-sippy cup we if a kid chooses sippy cup that's what we're using it's fine by us um but I will say that in my experience kids are more likely to refuse sippy cups than they are to refuse open cups or straw cups Mm-hmm. And that might sound a little crazy because straws can be thought of as being more difficult and they can be in some ways because they use a different um, group of muscles to to be you to in order to get the water liquid out of a straw. But in my opinion, the reason why kids are more open to those is because those are the thing, those don't look like the stuff, the bottle mm-hmm. nipple, the syringe, whatever it was that was brought to their mouth. Um over and over again while they were learning without success up until this point. Um, And they also feel a little bit, um, I think that those cups kind of keep kids a little bit more passive in in Uh that they have to learn how to do it in a different way. And there's this thing pointing at them. And that might seem true for a straw, but um, for whatever reason, we don't see kids struggling as much with straw drinking. I, from what I've, my personal guess, opinion, whatever, um, professional opinion is that most of our kids were not happy or successful bottle drinkers. 
And a sippy cup is very similar to a bottle. So So if you never learned to drink from a bottle or you never learned to enjoy a bottle, the sippy cup is so similar that they're not going to want to carry that experience over. Whereas a straw cup, you get to sit upright and you look around. You don't have to lean back. You don't have to tip your head back and change your center of gravity. There's just a whole lot of independence and different moves that come with straw drinking and sippy cup drinking and that's just what my guess is on their abilities. Yeah. And then one other comment on that, which is transition, change, being overwhelming for all of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I usually, this is a, this is developmental advice I give to people when we're talking about potty training or choosing, uh, choosing, you know, techniques at home. I always advise parents first to try things that are closer to the where the child is going to be yeah. than where they are now. And the reason I do that isn't to just like push kids as hard as I can into into eating. It's because it minimizes the amount of change later Mm -hmm. when they're new eaters. And so what I mean by that is if this child is going to be in a classroom in six months where they're going to have access to an open cup at snack time or a straw cup on the playground – or that's what their siblings use straw cups. If that's where things are headed – then I would start there or closer to there mm-hmm. than going for a sippy or going for a different kind of special cup, like a, you know, 360 or what, what other cup that you're going to use if you're only months away from wanting right. them to be in the other place. And it's not that there's anything wrong with any of those other cups. You can certainly back yourself up to one of those if the, if the child isn't ready for the two that we just discussed, like, you know, for where you want them to be in a couple of months or a year. But if they're brand new eaters and then they finally got the hang of getting or drinkers and they finally got the hang of getting it, you know, getting what they need from a from a cup or a spoon or, um, the, you know, fork, then it's just one more change mm-hmm. in a world of a lot of change for most of these kids. And so that's the other reason why I tend to go a little bit what maybe some people would consider slightly developmentally ahead. Mm-hmm. If, if we can talk a little bit about some specific cups, yes. I think that can be helpful for people, too, and maybe why I choose them. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the open cups. In the open cup situation, we're looking at what, what the parents are using. When families come for an intensive and I'm in a rented house, the first thing I do is go and look for all the weird cups that they might have <laughs> that would be new and interesting. But then when we're once kids are, are successful with random weird cups. I mean, you can't send them to school with a martini glass without getting some interesting calls from the teachers. So when we start heading towards something more functional, um, there's a couple of different cups that are transition cups, and they're meant to transition you from sippy to open, but you could also use it the other way. You can go from open to sippy. Mm-hmm. So you can change the tops of those things. So then sometimes I can I look for something that's modifiable without being too changed. Um, there's a tiny little sippy that I love that's, I think, three ounces, so it's really, really small. Um, and then straw cups, there is, for kids who need to learn to use a straw, one of the things, we start oftentimes with the pouch so that they get those lip, the lip rounding that comes from the pouch. So if they're open to using those, then that's a nice transition into a straw and there is a little valve that can you can order that can go in the bottom of a straw so that it's consistent it's called a straw valve Heidi taught me about it I used it with my littlest guy (laughs) and it was a game changer because we travel all the time and so I can't have 
because of luggage. Uh-huh. I can't yeah. have like four different types of cups with me at all times. I kind of need to, we have a very minimal <laughs> approach to our gear just out of necessity. Um, and so I just really wanted him to go um, to, a straw. to a straw cup. So, because that's what we use when we like our, you know, water bottles have straws on them and they his brothers have straw cups. Plus there's straws out in the world. Like it just seemed like an easier fit. And so I talked to Heidi about it and she told me about the valve, which I had seen her use in therapy before, but it really was a game changer. I'm telling you now, granted he wanted to drink in that moment, but he really did learn how to do it in a half a day with the straw cup. So what it does is it, you, you, um, suck it up and it keeps the, it keeps the liquid at the top of the straw. It's just this little valve that you push in the straw. It's a one-way valve. It's yeah. a one-way valve. So it can't valve. go back down. It right. just goes up. So it sits there. So they all they need is the tiniest contact and suction in order to feel that immediate reward. And then once they do it, they can figure out what did it. Even little, mm-hmm. little babies. I, I'm thinking of a friend of ours from Georgia, a little baby who um, came to see us in Virginia a long time ago. And she just started drinking her first cup. She had no business drinking out of a straw cup, but we were having a picnic and there was a straw cup there and she picked it up and started drinking right out of it. It really just makes it so much easier and you don't, um, it's not a must have, but it can be helpful if that's a priority for you. If they're not rounding their lips, you need to work into it. I think the other thing we've used it for a couple of different times with kids who's who didn't have great motor control. Like they did definitely have some some difficulties related to their diagnosis and the the consistency if you suck if you suck from a regular straw, sometimes you get too much, sometimes you get not enough. And so you your body has a hard time figuring out how hard to suck. But with the valve, it's consistent every time you close your lips this much, you get this much volume. Yeah. And so it was really helpful for him to not cough and sputter half the time and get nothing half the time because he really needed that consistency in order to be a better learner. About and then that. another quick comment about straws without valves is I often, if, I, if I'm working with a child that is not so scared of like water, we see a lot of kids that like like water, mm-hmm. even if they're afraid of other things. Sometimes I'll do things like have them watch me drop water from a straw. Like I pull water into a straw, put my straw, put a straw in a cup, put my finger on the top of the straw so that I'm holding a little bit of water in it and then watch it drop little droplets into the cup. And once we've played with that and counted the drops and all that stuff, I might watch them, have them watch me drop it into my mouth. And then I might just let them play with a straw. I'm probably not going to go right towards letting, dropping water into their mouth. But just letting them play with the straw carefully <laughs> um, with supervision, of course. But that can be a nice, because if there's a little bit of straw, water left in the straw, they can have a positive experience with it. And mm-hmm. then for kids that are giving you permission and look and really saying, hey, I'm okay with this, you can try taking just a tiny little amount with your finger on the other end of the straw and allowing them to try mm-hmm. to get, get it into their own mouth and give them a little bit of water that way too, if they're safe with water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of uh, should we transition on to um, forks a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't use forks a lot actually in the beginning because it takes a while for them to get good enough at that. But one of my newer tricks for toddlers is the um, once they're eating a little. I don't use it in the beginning um, for lots and lots of reasons. But once they're understanding. Um, about taking bites and you want to start working towards using forks, I've started using those bento picks. 
Oh, like a tiny. Uh huh. It's a little bit like a spork with no handle. Yeah. So I've had several kids, my nephew being one of them, who actually loved using those. I wouldn't use them for small kids because they're small. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't use them for kids who don't understand the concept of a fork, but it makes them a little bit more independent. Mm-hmm. So I've used that with a couple of older kids recently to give them a little bit more independence because I can preload a whole bunch of them and put them all on there and then they can pick them up. So it's heading oh, towards We've never fork talked use. about that, but I do something very similar with like toothpicks, which, you know, I realize there's, you got to keep a really close eye on uh-huh. a toothpick or like little hors d'oeuvre. Um, forks right. and mm-hmm. pre-stabbing stuff and kind of keeping yes. it around um, can really take some of the work and uh, scary out of um, doing that for a kiddo. Mm-hmm. And I have had several ch- children do that. And then I use I use regular forks too. Um, I, you know, we tend to see that kids are open to things that they can control, and adding a utensil to the mix it, it's more work. And so, a, a lot of times, not all the time the progression kind of looks like what you would see with what many people think of as like the baby led weaning technique where you're starting with liquids and chunks of food that they can actually hold and feed themselves, even at the little, even the the littlest ones. Um, But there are kids that feel more comfortable doing what mommy and daddy are doing um, or brother or sister are doing with a fork or a spoon. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't really have any favorite forks, but I have used those little ones before. I think we've gone jumping back to the progression a little bit I think and forks would definitely be further down the line I have gone back and forth depending on the kids interest on spoon versus pouch Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. it just depends on what they're interested in what they've had experience or no experience yeah with those are there's not one coming one doesn't have to come before the other in my experience yeah I would agree with you and um the last little piece that we wanted to just talk about is speed. And we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about speed of presentation. Like if you're the one feeding, slowing it down. Another thing to consider with speed is the speed with which something is flowing. Like so in particular with cups or spoons, you can slow down the speed of a puree by making it thicker. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if a child seems frustrated that it's so thick and it's moving really slowly, you can water it down a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're using prunes, adding a little prune juice to make it a little bit more watery so that they don't have to suck so hard or work so hard. And the converse, which is if that feels like it's flooding their mouth and it's too fast and it's overwhelming, you could thicken it up with the Mm -hmm. fruit itself. And I think that's also true to, to just to consider speed, not that there's one right answer, but that every child is different. And you have to look not only at what the utensil or cup is, but also at the speed. So if you see a child struggling with a cup or a bottle or a nipple and the flow, you could consider fast or slow um, as ways of helping them feel more comfortable. We all know kids that do really well with fast flow stuff because they have to work, they have less endurance maybe, and they have to, they don't have to work for as long to get as much food out and that can be comforting to them. And then the opposite is true for some kids. So just like with everything else we've talked about today, the big moral of today's story is there is no one magic utensil, mm-hmm. cup, or bottle. You have to look at your child, considering control, considering safety, mm-hmm. <laughs> and considering that novelty piece of whether or not it feels safe and comfortable or new. Um, and then really looking at each child and 
adjusting what you're choosing accordingly without shuffling through 20 choices at a meal or in a week, because that can be scary too. If there's always Mm -hmm. a different tool on the table. I think going back to the safety piece, drinking is probably the one that has the most um, discussion for kids about safety with flow rates. Um, And there is some, uh, first of all, they need to feel safe. They need to know that it's safe and whether they're actually safe. You know, lots of kids have had swallow studies and it says they're not aspirating. But if they don't feel safe, it doesn't matter if they're aspirating or not. They need to feel safe with it. And if flow rate is one of those ways to make them feel safe. I mean, obviously, if it's truly unsafe, that's very, very clear. Um, but I just remembering that they have to feel safe, too, um, and starting with, um, you know, looking at their reaction to it, coughing and sputtering a little bit can be a normal part of learning, but consistent congestion is not normal. Really watery eyes is not mm-hmm. normal for a moment when they're trying to do something new. It is. Right. Right. So one time, two times. But you need to mention it to a professional around you to help you make some of those decisions, too. Um, Yeah, if you're in doubt about whether or not your child is aspirating on any consistency, liquid or otherwise, it's time to talk to your pediatrician and a speech therapist mm -hmm. about it. And and the same goes with consistency of purees with solid foods. I mean, there's obviously choking hazards with solid foods that everybody's aware of with – you know, I think we're all aware of those grapes and hot dogs and some of those things, but purees can feel unsafe if they're too thick yes. as well or if they get too big of a bite. So just remembering to watch your child as you try these things. And if they look, you know, the, the best thing to say is, oh, you're okay. And then because they look to you for cues, mm-hmm. but then continue to watch them and make sure um, how they feel with those with those things. Yeah. So not only does safety, comfort, trust not, o- not only are those essential parts of learning to eat, gaining skill, and weaning from the feeding tube, but they're a child's perceived safety and their impression of food and their comfort around it actually causes them to be more safe. <laughs> like mm-hmm. physically, it decreases their risk. If the child's initiating, if they're an active participant in the mealtime, if they feel safe and not panicked, they're more likely to have a safe swallow and put themselves less at risk. But when in doubt, talk to your team about it. Um, don't don't hesitate to talk to your team. Go right away. If you have any thoughts that your child might be aspirating, go right to your doctor and your speech mm-hmm. therapist. Um, so again, with a lot of the topics that we talk about, your child is going to lead the way. You're going to set the stage and help them. And if you have a specific question about a specific utensil cup, bottle, whatever it may be, um, please feel free to comment on our social media. We're going to be sharing um, the podcast Uh, and the notes in our show notes on our blog, feel free to write in um, and let us know what your questions Mm -hmm. are. We'd be happy to answer them. And I just to add one last note is whichever things you end up choosing, if you have fun with it, if you two are enjoying it or three or four, if they can participate with the family, they're having a good time and you're having a good time. It doesn't have to be a kid thing. Just Whatever you're, you know, whatever experience you're choosing, make sure that you guys have fun with it. Yeah, and don't put too much pressure on way. yourself as mm-hmm. a parent either around it. That's yep, there's great. no magic. No, we have wish fun. there were. <laughs> Your child has the magic in them, though. They'll get there. That's right. They know how. <laughs> All right, you guys. You have a great day. We'll be back next week. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tube to Table podcast. Every week, we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media and Instagram and Facebook. We can be found at Thrive with Spectrum. And on Twitter, you can find us at Thrive with SP. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week.